Oh, thanks. <laughs> All right. So, hey, inside your um, program is an outline. I want to encourage you guys to follow along today. Uh, as we look, as Pastor Eric said, we're going to take a little break on uh, hashtag hope. We have two more weeks of hashtag hope. I want to encourage you guys to come back the next two weeks. Uh, we're actually going to look at something from the Old Testament, a miracle uh, that took place that draws hope into our life. And it's really kind of encouraging uh, miracle that takes place. Also, too, a couple real quick things. Make sure you guys are being in prayer for the mission team. Uh, they are in Cambodia now, so be in prayer for them this, this week. Uh, also, too, to cool screens, right? So here, here's what I'm thinking. The next couple weeks, you're going to see a triplicate of myself. If one isn't good enough, three's got to be better, right? So anyway, Eric, uh, Pastor Eric, Brandon, uh, Logan, Mark uh, Young pulled an all-nighter and was here till the wee hours of the morning putting all this stuff together. So we appreciate that, and we're gonna look, uh, we'll play with it as we work through and learn, learn how it's going to all fit together. So at the very top of your outline, I want to encourage you guys to pull it out. We're going to look at Mother's Day 2015. There's a kind of a funny verse that we're going to use as kind of a launching point, and then we're going to talk about some uh, ladies in the Old Testament, New Testament times, and we're going to focus in on Hannah's life. Um, but here's a verse that Paul writes to Timothy. It's kind of confusing, but I think you'll get the idea of it. It says, but women will be saved through childbearing. Now, I, I well, confession, right? I have never given birth, okay? But I have been a part of three of them, and I don't know how that verse fits, because that wasn't any of the things that I remember hearing or feeling, right? So uh, anyhow, that was... Uh, uh, kind of an interesting verse. But here's the idea of what Paul's saying. Paul is saying that there is a stigma amongst women because Eve fell in the Garden of Eden and she was the one that took the fruit and gave it to Adam, that there was been a stigma about women that it, women were the ones that entered sin into the world. <clears throat> and so what <clears throat> Paul is writing, and he's saying, actually, there is a potential of a reversal as Eve ushered it into in the Garden of Eden, this verse is that women have the right, to ha- have the privilege to reverse it and raise a godly generation. And that's how the idea is that they would be saved through childbearing, that there would be a reversal of what the stigma was, is to a certain extent on women as far as sin entering into the world, that they have the privilege of raising a godly generation and then in T- uh, Paul writes to T- uh, Titus, and I'm not going to read all the verses, but basically talks about how uh, older women are to teach the younger women uh, how to be reverent, how to love God, how to love their kids, and how to live a godly life. And it's always been God's plan from the very beginning of time that not just women, for all of us, that we all need to live a life that is honoring to God across the board, that we are to live a godly life. If you think through some of the women in the Bible... There are several of them that we could pull out and talk about. Uh, you could certainly talk about Sarah, who was a gift to Abram, and she was a model of faith and a model of obedience. Uh, Moses' mother and his sister uh, were instrumental in saving his life and allowing him to become one of the great leaders of the Old Testament, great leaders of all world time. Deborah was called the mother of Israel. Uh, you have Ruth, who was a very gentle, sweet spirit, who had a gift of sacrifice. She loved to sacrifice. Jesse gave uh, birth to David, who ultimately was the seed of 
of the Messiah, Jesus. Elizabeth in the New Testament gave birth to John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Christ and uh, was the one who would walk around and say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world as he kind of blazed the path for Christ. And then, of course, you have Mary, the mother of Christ, uh, that certainly was instrumental in that. And so today, as we look through Scripture, all from the Old Testament into New Testament times, there were godly women that God used to change the culture in which they were living in and in which we are living in today. Today we're going to look at Hannah. Hannah has a great word, uh, is a great word. It has the meaning and it means grace. And when we look at a short portion of Hannah's life, we're going to recognize that the name for her was completely fitting. She was a person who was filled with grace and she certainly was one who modeled faith and ended up raising Samuel. Samuel was one of the greatest leaders the world has ever known and certainly one of the greatest leaders in the Old Testament time and had a profound change in Israel, in the life of Israel. So if you will, in your outline, we're going to look number one and we're going to go through. There's going to be two steps. I have them numbered this way because it makes it easier for the the folks in the IT uh, uh, back there working the projector. But but, uh, first one is Israel, when we start in the context of of this verse in in 1 Samuel, Israel was in a complete uh, moral failure. And, you know, I put tailspin, maybe a little bit light on it. They were completely bankrupt. They were having all kinds of troubles uh, across their nation. Uh, It was a period of the judges, so the kings uh, were no longer part of it. Uh, the judges had take, uh, was, was leading out. There was uh, turmoil. There was confusion. Uh, they were certainly morally bankrupt. The, uh, the, sin, uh, the, the temple was morally bankrupt. The, the priests were morally bankrupt. Uh, it was a time where religiously they had grown distant from God. They weren't really interested in what God had to say. In fact, the scripture says that God didn't have much to say to them because that, that's how cold and how distant they were to it. As I said, the priesthood of, of them were, were very corrupt. The nation was, was weak and vulnerable. Um, God didn't pay attention to them, or they felt like God didn't pay attention. He didn't have much to say. And in the midst of that, Hannah is going to give birth to Samuel, which is going to really change the whole culture in an incredible way, kind of going back to what, what uh, Paul writes to Timothy, that women have the will be saved in childbearing, that they have the the ability and the responsibility and the privilege of being able to turn things around in a spiritual sense in her, in her life. Now, as, as Pastor uh, Eric said, this message isn't just for women. The, we're going to look at two take-home truths at the end of the message, but this is really for all of us. Be, because when you look at where we're at as a culture, uh, I would say to a certain extent, we are, as Americans, we are pretty close to where Israel was at that time that we have grown spiritually cold and distant from God. He is no longer on the forefront of many conversations. Usually if it's a part of the conversation, they're usually condemning the church and Christianity. And so there isn't a real desire and love for, for God and the things of God. Uh, as a nation, we've kinda, we're kind of faltering a bit. We're not really sure what we are and who we are. We're going through kind of a transition uh, that takes place. Uh, I think that we're ripe for a revival. I think that there is a lot of uh, 
things that are taking place in our nation where people are scratching their head and wondering all the things that they've been hearing for the last 30 or 40 years aren't working. And so I believe that they're hungry for something, and I think we're on uh, potentially at a point where we could see a great revival. Therefore, it is important that not only moms, but dads too, uh, inspire our kids and grandkids to live a godly life, and we ourselves model that in, in the home. So let's take a look. First Samuel chapter 1, verse, and we're going to start in verse 2. El, El, uh, Elkanah is, is Hannah's husband, okay? It's a little bit of a goofy relationship. Because you see in the very first four words, he had wives. That's a problem. Would you agree with that? That's never a good, it's ne- no matter what's on TV and how nice it, they make it look, that's not a good drill, okay? So oftentimes people will ask, well, in the Old Testament, polygamy was talked about. Was that God's plan? Well, if you go all the way back to Genesis, it says, and a man and a, wife, and a woman will leave their husband or leave their parents and they will cleave to each other and the two will become one. Not the three, not the five, but the two. The man and the woman will leave their father and mother and cleave. And so from the very beginning of time, the, the idea of a man and a woman being united in marriage has always been. There were times in there, and we certainly see it in here, that he was practicing polygamy, which created a bit of a problem. Now the verse goes on and it says, now uh, he, and the one was called Hannah, that's who we're going to talk about, and the other one was Penina, okay? Penina had children, but Hannah had zero. So she didn't have any kids, and as a result of it, number two in your outline, Hannah was in a pretty tough situation. Her family was not perfect, would you agree with that? She had a a rival, and it was difficult, demanding, and very stressful for her. And again, I think if we take the culture, not that you have two wives at the house, hopefully not, but but you take the culture and the moral situation that's taking place in our culture, and I think that we begin to see some connection to what they were going through as we are today. Verse 6 goes on in Samuel chapter 1, and it says, and because the Lord had closed her womb, her ri- ri- uh, rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Okay, So not only is there two wives, one could have a child, one couldn't. And every time that they would go to worship, the one who was able to have kids would give Hannah the extra little stab about I can have kids and you can't type of thing. To a point in her life, where it got to where she couldn't even eat, she was so sick at her stomach and and just having rough times that she wasn't even able to eat. She was at a point in her life where it was just absolutely miserable for her in her situation. And yet in the midst of that, in the midst of this turmoil, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of all of it, in your outline, uh, the madness, Hannah was able to rise above the madness. And so then the question is, how? How was she able to rise above the, the turmoil in her country, the turmoil in her home, the turmoil with the, uh, with the extra wife? How was she able to do that? Number three, which is really step one. Here it is. Hannah was connected to God by prayer and worship. Okay? 
She was connected by, to God by prayer and worship in her life. She understood the power of prayer and she understood the power of worship. If you're going to live a godly life, okay, and this is not just women, this is men too. If you're going to live a godly life, there has to be a priority to prayer and there has to be a priority to personal worship and we'll talk about in a minute and corporate worship in your life. If you're going to rise above the craziness and the chaos and all the things that are taking place, we we have to make sure that that is a priority in our life. Now, if we pick up in verse 10, here's what it says. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. So we see that passion for prayer. And it goes on in verse 11, and it said, And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, and then circle these, the, the bold words, If you will, and we're going to come back to that, If you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of my life, and no razor, and we'll talk about that, no razor will ever be used on his head. Now, I didn't use it because of time's sake, but if you read through the whole First Samuel account, you see that here she is, she's literally pouring out her heart in prayer to God. She is dumping everything that she has as she cries out to God, and she makes a commitment that if you will, if you will give me a son, I will give him back to you, and then a razor will never touch his head. So he's going to be a hippie, all right? Now, what, what is the significance of being a hippie? Because my dad always told me, you look like a girl when you got long hair, right? But, so it's a, it's a Nazarite vow that the Jewish people would make. And most of Jews would make it for a very short period of time. And it was a time where they would consecrate themselves to the Lord. So they would live a very God-centered life. They would not shave. They would not uh, uh, cut their hair. They weren't interested in the outward appearance. And just so this, for a short period of time, most of them would have a very short period co- a covenant that they would make with God where they would be completely focused. Now, we know that there are three in the Bible that took this vow through their whole life. Samson was one. John the Baptist was the other. And Samuel was the third. What's interesting is, is that it, uh, at least two of them Uh, their mothers were not able to have babies for a while. And when they had children, uh, if you look at John the Baptist and Samuel, they they had made a covenant and their their moms uh, had given them back uh, to the Lord. So look what she says. I mentioned this to you. She says, if you will, if you will. So here Hannah, as she's praying that God would bless her with a son, and she had this enormous faith that God, if, it was, if it's in your work, if it's in your will, if it's in your plan, I am completely okay with placing that back into your sovereign hand and I'm going to believe, God, that you're going to give me that child. But I'm going to allow you to have full sovereignty over it. Now, let's be honest, and I will with myself. When I pray, I don't always pray that way. My prayer usually has... Hurry up, I need it now. Would you agree with that? And if it isn't that, sometimes I pray, Lord, I got a good idea. Right? If you're willing, I got a great idea. Right? But Hannah had this idea where she was able to just completely give it back to the Lord 
completely to him, which gives us number four. Hannah was mature in her faith. She was mature in her faith. She didn't want a son for the fantasy to vicariously live through her child. She wanted a child to give back to God for the service of God. So it wasn't about having a kid so she could cart the little kid around and say, isn't he cute? But it was about giving the child back to God for the service of God, for the kingdom of God. And so as she, even at early in, her, in this prayer thing, she recognized that if God gave it to her, it was really just a gift. And she was just going to be a steward for a short period of time. And she was going to give it back to him. Verse 18. And it said, and she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. <clears throat> then she went on her way and she ate something and her face was no longer what? Now, now get this prayer time, right? We just looked in verse 11 that every time she would go to a place of worship, her, her husband's other wife would irritate her to a point where she couldn't even eat. She was sick to her stomach. You ever, been, you ever been so upset like that that you're literally sick to your stomach? She couldn't even eat. She falls on, in front of the Lord and she surrenders her heart and surrenders the whole situation to the Lord. And in verse 18, she gets up and her whole facial expression has completely changed. She was no longer downcast. She was able to give it all to the Lord and turn and walk from it. Now, I'm going to just be honest for myself. I, I do that sometimes for some things. But there's a lot of times where I have that moment where it's, Lord, this is all yours. And then I turn around and I walk. And then I reach back. And I grab it and I pull it in. You ever do that? And then all of a sudden, all over, you begin to wrestle with that. Right? And she's at a point in her walk with the Lord and her trust in the Lord, where she's able to completely give it to him. And her whole facial expression, her whole stomach, her whole insides began to change, and she was able to eat. So she would walk 200 miles. Anybody go 200 miles today to come to church? Right? <laughs> yeah, you're like two minutes away. Right? So she would go 200 miles three times a year to come to worship and to worship the Lord. That's the commitment. That she had. And remember, there's no airplanes and trains, right? I mean, it's, you're walking or you're on the back of a donkey of some, some sort. And that's, that's, the, way, that's the way that it, it goes. Verse 12. As she kept praying to the Lord, Eli observed. Now, Eli's the priest. Eli, he's not the keyboard player. That's a different one. Uh, Eli observed uh, the Lord's mouth. Verse 13. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving uh, but her voice was not heard. So we all get the picture of this, right? Eli thought that she was drunk. Verse 14. And he said to her, how long will you keep getting drunk? Get rid of the wine. And I don't have, again, don't have time to go through all this stuff with, with it. But, but she confronts him. And she says to the priest, she says, I am pouring my heart out to God in prayer. Now, what's interesting is that gives us a little glimpse into the, the priest. If you were to come into church or you were to go to a restaurant or a park bench and someone was sitting on the bench and their head was down and their eyes were closed and their mouth was moving, we would probably make some assumptions, wouldn't we? That perhaps that person is having a devotional time. We probably wouldn't come to the conclusion 
Look at that person's drunk. It's 10 o'clock. We would make the assumption. So here he is as we look into his life. He looks in at her and he doesn't even recognize that she's praying. That's a picture of the spiritual leadership or lack thereof that was taking place in Israel at that time. And so she goes on and she tells him that she's pouring out her heart. So Hannah had this faith and it was rooted in worship and it was rooted in prayer. And because she had that, she was able to surrender things, in this case a child, to or, or not a child at this point. She was able to surrender the Lord and completely be, be fine with it. Number five, which is step two. Hannah was connected, and you can scratch out those words to God because I, somehow I, I, that got copied over. Uh, she was connected um, relationally. Okay, she was connected relationally. So so she was connected in prayer and worship. But she was also as goofy as her marriage was. She was also connected with her spouse in a relational sense. Okay, she understood the value of it. And again, I don't have time to go through the whole chapter. But if you if you read through chapter one, you will recognize that they spent quite a bit of time together even though they had a difference and even though they had kind of a third wheel in the relationship, there was still a lot of time that they would spend together in their communication with each other. In verse 3, year after year, this man, that's her husband, went up from this town, so that's a 200-mile journey, to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Harry and Phil, that's the English translation, uh, the two sons of Eli priest of the Lord, okay? And so she would go, and he would go to 200 miles to a place to worship, and they would worship together. Now let me just pause for a second and share my heart with you guys. The corporate worship in America is losing its priority. It's losing its priority. And yes, we have, you know, you can watch it on YouTube and you can get cassettes and, or CDs and all that stuff and live streaming. Okay, and all that stuff is good for some things. But there's nothing that takes the place of corporate worship. There's something that takes place in a corporate worship where the body of believers unite their heart, sing praises to the Lord and sit under the authority of the Word of God that, that something takes place in a corporate setting like this that doesn't take place in a private time, and we need that, or watching on a video. And this is something in our culture where the Sunday worship, or whatever night, if you know, they have Saturday nights or whatever it is some churches are doing, but, but it seems like it's getting bumped off the calendar. And there's lots of other things that are beginning to take priority in it. And I think the danger is that we are not going to model the importance of God if we buy into that logic. Because remember, this is Mother's Day, but this is also about us guys too. Our, our job is to, to model godliness in a morally bankrupt culture. And part of that is prayer and worship privately, but also it's a corporate thing as well in our life. 
And we are, we are seeing where that is just slowly being lost. Values, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, they are not taught. If you think that you're going to teach your kids values by telling them, do this, don't do that, it's not going to work. Values are caught. In other words, they watch you. If you tell them God's number one, you better show it. Otherwise, you're not showing that as a value. You're just verbalizing it. And so in our life as we model godliness to our kids, it's important that, that we're living it in our life and in the area of relationships with the Lord and relationship with our spouse or our kids. We need to make sure that we're modeling that. And she, in this dysfunctional home Hannah was in, it was a priority to her to make sure that when she did give birth to Samuel, that he understood that worship was a priority. And we'll see in chapter 2, he's a little guy, and he's worshiping and ministering to the Lord. And some commentary guys will say, the reason why is because his parents modeled it for him. And that's how he knew it was a value and something that was to be important. Verse 5. But Hannah, he gave a double portion. So uh, her husband would give her a double portion versus his other wife. Now, this is a way that he is going to begin to show that he publicly loves her greater than the other wife. One wife is a baby machine, right? And Hannah is his love of his heart, all right? In those days when they would go make a sacrifice, they would give some of the food to the sacrifice and some of it would go to the priest and some of it would be kept down and it would go to the family. And the family would then divide it up. In this case, he would take a double portion and he would give it to Hannah. It was his way of showing public affection so that everyone would know that Hannah was really his heart. Hannah was somebody that he really loved. Yeah, he had kids by her, but the reality is that Hannah was the love of his life and he wanted to make sure that she got it, which leads us to number six. We need to appreciate our mother and wives. You agree with that? Hey, I, I have a four-bedroom house, but uh, I don't have room for all you guys. What I meant to say was we need to appreciate our mother and wives, right? You are a work in progress, huh? <laughs> That's what I love about church, man. We, you, we are, we are, right? Well, welcome to the house of the struggling. Here we are. <clears throat> of course, we all know the Proverbs 31. Uh, it's an amazing woman, and you can read through that, ladies and guys. But in verse 10, it talks about a, a wife of noble character who can find. Right? She, she, they're hard to find is what, what, what he's saying. And it, look what he gives her worth. He says, she is worth far more than rubies. So whatever gold, whatever rings, whatever it is that you buy her, she's far more valuable than that. Verse 11, her husband has full, full in her and lacks nothing of value. Get this picture. She has a debit card. 
And he has 100% confidence that she knows what she can spend and what she shouldn't spend. Now, some of you may giggle with that. But let me tell you, that, that is one of the big issues in marriages. Because you'll have a saver and you'll have a spender and you have the two polar opposites. And I tell you, that rodeo is not a fun ride to be on. Okay? But she understands, and I'm not throwing the women under the bus because it oftentimes can be men as well. But she understands the value of that. And he has complete confidence in her. In verse 28, her children arise and call her blessed. And her husband also. And he praises her. And so there's this appreciation that's given to her. That there is a verbal appreciation. So just as he would give her a double portion as a way of publicly saying, Hannah's my lady. So it is that we need to make sure that we, uh, we value our spouse, our wives, guys, specifically today, and that we elevate their value by appreciating them. Not depreciating them, right? That's when things go down in value. Remember the market a few years ago? It's no fun, right? But we are to elevate their value, all right? So this is going to be our opportunity. You guys are a little weak on the go, but we're going to give you a shot. Every time we have a Mother's Day and a Father's Day, we always give the opportunity. So we watched a little video, kind of stole a little thunder from me. But I, I'm going to read a little bit of, of my own little take of what moms. So this is for all mothers, stepmothers, right? For, for ladies who, and we're going to do this today, for ladies who, Lord, if you will. Because I realize Mother's Day for some ladies is hard because they want to have children, but maybe they're not able to. And God just depressed on my heart, you know what? This is Hannah. And she said, God, if you will. So if you're one of those if you will women, in a moment, I want you to stand up too and show your faith that God's going God's to give you that child that you're going to dedicate back. But this is for all moms who froze their bottoms off on metal bleachers <laughs> instead of sitting in the car <clears throat> so that when their kids would come to home and say, Mommy, did you see? You could say, Honey, I did. This is for all moms. I get choked up. I had choked up yesterday. This was my... Who sat up all night with their sick toddlers in their arms, wiping up chunks of hot dogs and soda that suddenly reappeared and them say, Honey, it's okay. This is for all the moms who would carpool and make cookies and read the goodnight story over and over and over. One more time, mommy. This is for all the moms who messed up, who yelled at their kids in the grocery store and everyone looked at you like a raving lunatic. This is for all the moms who taught their kids how to tie their shoes before they went to kindergarten, and for all of you moms who gave up and got Velcro. <laughs> got some. 
And this is for all the moms who showed up to work with spit up in their hair, mouth rings on their, stay, on their shirt, and diapers in their purse. We appreciate you. So if you are a mother, a stepmother, if you believe God's going to give you that child, I want you to stand up, and before you do, guys, this is when you, you give them the applause. I only have four bedrooms at our house, and I don't want any of you staying with me, all right? So, ladies, if you fit that, would you please stand? And remain standing and let's pray for you. Ladies, thank you, Lord, for the mothers that you've given us and for those, uh, Lord, who, who stood up today. I just pray, God, a special blessing on them. And, Lord, for perhaps the, 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 the lady who stood up, that, Lord, if you will, we pray, God, that you would give them a breakthrough in that situation with that child. And, Lord, that, that they would present that baby to you. Again, Lord, thank you for just the mothers and how they shape our culture and how they have the power to really influence us in a, in, a, in a great and amazing way. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Back to verse 19. You guys ready? We're going to finish strong. Early in the morning, they arose and they worshiped the Lord. They went home and she got pregnant. In verse 24, after she had weaned him, so Samuel is born, so after she had weaned him, she took the boy with her as a, he was a young guy, brought her to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, verse 25. When, uh, when they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, there's the priest again, verse 26, and she said to him, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. Verse 27, I prayed for this child and the Lord had granted me what I had asked of him. Verse 28. So now I give him to the Lord. Remember that was her promise. I give him to the Lord. For his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Now let me just kind of share something real quick with you. And we're going to wrap this thing up. In those days. A child that was dedicated to the Lord. When they were three to five years old they were actually taken to the temple and left there. Now, we are not in that day. We're in a different time period. I want your kids here on Sunday and Wednesday, but you can take them after service is over. All right? They will not do well here by themselves. But they would take their kids and they would leave them at the temple. Now, the brilliance to this is we know today scientifically, from the age of three to five, a child, 90% of their personal values are shaped in that period. And so it was custom that they would take their child who was dedicated to the Lord and leave them at the temple. And in that period of time, their, their morals, their values would be shaped. And so she took uh, Samuel back and she 
committed him to the Lord and she left him there. In your outline, she was dedicated to God. Because she was dedicated to God, she was dedicated to her husband. Because she was dedicated to her husband, she was dedicated to her children. And she dedicated him, meaning her son, to the Lord. It's a full cycle. It's, it's, It's vertical and it's horizontal. And it's a circle. She loved God. She loved her husband. Because she loved her husband, she loved her kid. Because she loved her kid, she committed her kid to the Lord. And that is a picture of what parenting ought to be. The flow chart of parenting is God's first, your spouse's second, your kid's third, your profession's fourth. That's the flow chart of Ephesians. God one, spouse two, kids three, job four. And here, she loved God, she loved her husband, she loved her kid, and she gave her kid back to the Lord. And that is the model. So two truths to take home. One, we need to go vertical in prayer and worship. You agree with that? And two, we need to go horizontal in relationships with others. We have the power and the potential to change our culture radically for the kingdom of God. The ball is in our court. Are we going to live it in our life? And I recognize that Father's Day, Mother's Day is a difficult time because sometimes maybe our kids are raised and maybe we didn't know this then. And we sit back today or maybe our kids have kind of pushed away from God and we sit here today and there's a little sense of guilt. But let me just say to you, the chapter isn't finished in your perhaps adult kids' lives. God can still change hearts. Can he not? So even though they may not be where they need to be, God can get them where he needs them to be. And just as we would have committed them back as a child, there's nothing wrong with us taking our adult kids today and say, Lord, you bless me with them. Maybe I didn't know what I do now today, but I'm giving them back to you. And I ask you to work in their heart to change them for your kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be encouraged by your word. And certainly as we look at Hannah's life, we recognize that there's so many things that can relate into our own life. And Father, as we leave here today to celebrate uh, Mother's Day, God, may you give us discernment and wisdom. Lord, we want to live godly lives. We want to appreciate our wives. We want to appreciate our moms. We want to celebrate with them the blessings that you have uh, given uh, us in and through them. And Father, as we have children perhaps that are older and maybe are away from the Lord and walking in their own direction, God, I pray, just as we would dedicate a child to the Lord, Lord, we lift up our kids to you right now, even as adults, perhaps even in their 50s and 60s. And Lord, we place them in your hand. You love them. You have a plan for them. You'd sent Christ to die for them. And Father, we just pray that you would work in their heart to shape them and mold them into the image that you desire for them to be. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you've never given your heart to Christ and that is the first place to begin. And no no greater day than today to give your heart to Jesus. And if your desire is to enter into that personal relationship with Christ, as I say this prayer, 
I just want you silently to repeat after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, today, I admit that I make mistakes and that I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he died on a cross and that he rose again. And today, I confess him to be my Lord and Savior. Lord, thank you for saving me. Lord, thank you for giving me a new start, a new outlook, a brand new beginning. And we give you all the praise. And all God's people said...